Well, I hope all of your Christmas questions have been answered now uh, through those kids. It's really good. Merry Christmas to everybody. Glad to have you here with us this morning. Before we light our fourth and final candle this morning, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. We've been going through this series called Christmas Lights as a Church over the last several weeks. We'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 7, uh, 8, and now we'll finish today with Isaiah chapter 9. So you follow along as I read a passage that at least part of it you'll be familiar with, but all of it speaks to our hearts and our minds today. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy of the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff from his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor that you have broken on this day of Midian. For every boot of the trampoline warrior and the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now verse 6, this is the one you may be familiar with. But to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, we just sang these words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Bow your heads with me this morning. Lord, we today are living in a time like Isaiah chapter 9. We're living in the darkness of this world. And that's why Christmas is such great news, because it is about a great light. Lord, we confess that Christmas addresses the the truth of the darkness of this world, but at the same time, the, the hope of light, the light of hope to bring comfort to our broken hearts. Lord, the light of holiness to show us our sin and the light to guide us to the way of forgiveness. So, Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we behold this great light and find salvation. It's in your name we ask. Amen. Well, this passage that I read really highlights the two main themes of the message of Christmas. And the first theme is this, that Christmas is about deep darkness. Not what you thought you would hear first this morning, but the reality is we're going to talk about the great light and talk about the light of the world and Jesus Christ. We have to understand the reality of the deep darkness in which we live in. And the Bible is raw. The Bible is real. The Bible describes the the world the way we feel it in our hearts, the way we see it on the news, the way we realize it to be. It's a world that is full of death and decay and destruction and war, and violence. It's all around us. Christianity and Christmas are not all about just a sweet, sticky sentiment. There's a real darkness that needs a great light. And Christianity is the only thing that offers that beautiful light to our lives and to this world. Every other kind of non-Christian philosophy 
tries to console us in our darkness by just saying, well, it'll get better one day. Or behind every cloud there's a silver lining. Christianity is far more realistic than any non-Christian philosophy, any non-Christian belief. Christianity would never say, oh, don't worry, things aren't that bad. It's not that big of a big deal. No, the Bible says things are just as dark, just as bad, just as difficult as the world says it is, as the news and media says it is, as our hearts feel that it is. It's one of the messages that we have to understand when we think about Christmas. You see, because this good news of a great light that is coming comes to a very dark world. In a, in a time where we might look for solutions in our world, we'll find only more darkness. When we try to find the light in and of ourselves, all we're going to find is more sin and more shame and more guilt. When we look to this world for answers, we find only more darkness. So the reality is there is darkness at Christmas time, but Christmas also tells us that there's a great light. This is the second kind of big message that we find at Christmas time. Christmas is about the great light. And I love that Isaiah in this passage explains what this great light is because we can read this passage and, and walk out of here and think, well, that's nice, a, a great light has come. But Isaiah is going to get extremely specific, extremely detailed, so that we would know what this light is, so we don't walk out of here thinking, well, there's some ethereal, distant, transcendent light out there. No, this light has shone into the darkness, the darkness of this world and the darkness of our sinful hearts. And the light that shines is through a child, verse 6 says. And I love it says that to us, a child is born. To us, not just to his parents, not just to the people in his city, but to us, a child is born. This is the great light. This is our hope in the darkness. Now, the thing that's interesting about this is you hear this and you, we just talk about the deep darkness, death, decay, brokenness, sin, war, all these terrible things out there. And Isaiah says the solution, the light for the darkness, is an infant. It's a child. No wonder people don't understand Christmas. No wonder people don't get this. I mean, babies are great. Babies bring real joy, but they can't solve problems, right? They bring more problems to you. And yet right here in this passage in Isaiah, it says our hope, the great light, is a child being born. I can remember years ago when my grandmother passed away. And my cousin was there at the funeral. And afterwards, we're sitting there in my living room. And all of us are kind of in a circle. All of our family's there. And my cousin has his little baby girl, an infant there, who hasn't quite learned how to, how to roll over yet. She's there in the center of the room, and we're all kind of just sitting there in our grief and our sorrow, and this little child is trying to roll over, just trying to get to, from one side to the other, and it's bringing a sense of, of joy and laughter, and we're kind of joking about it a little bit. But the reality is, that child brought a little bit of joy, but it didn't fix the, the darkness that we were dealing with. 
They didn't fill, fit, fill the, the void of grief that we had in our heart. You see, the baby couldn't change the situation even though she brought a little bit of joy. The reason why I say that is because if we never look beyond the infant Jesus, the baby in the manger, then all Christmas does is give us a little pick-me-up in the middle of the winter, right? It gives us like a little bit of joy for, for a few days, but it doesn't last. That's the problem for some of us here. We've never looked beyond the baby in the manger. We never have gotten past this small feel-good factor. But there is a real darkness, and we need a real light. We need a real hope. And he even explains a little bit about this darkness that the people in Isaiah's day are feeling in verses 4 and 5 of this text. I mean, some, some really odd language is used where it's talking about a nation that's coming in, and they're, they're going to put a burden on people. There's an invasion that's going to happen, and there's going to be Lives that are lost. That's what you see in verses 4 and 5. This is a real glimpse of darkness. And then he says, but the hope in this deep darkness is the light of the world. This deep darkness, there's a hope and it comes first in this child. It comes first in this infant. And if we want to take the context of what Isaiah is dealing with. There's an invading army. This is a real historical moment in time. Assyria is coming in, and they were a ruthless nation, and they're about to invade. And Isaiah says, our hope, our Christmas promise is that an infant will be born. What? That would be like Winston Churchill getting on the, the radio after Dunkirk has happened and they have been crushed with the imminent invasion that's coming from Germany and saying, hey, there's hope. Don't worry, there's hope because there's a woman that's pregnant. There's a woman that's pregnant. So there's your hope to help you in the midst of an invasion, in the midst of death, and in the midst of destruction. That's your hope. That's what he's saying. Now, if all of our hope rests on just any ordinary baby, then there would be no hope. But this is not any ordinary child. This is not any ordinary baby. Let us see beyond the manger to who this child would be. We see a list of his names given in verse 6. All these titles describe who this child is. And in Hebrew culture, what you named a child had extreme significance. A parent would try to say, this is what we hope our child would be. This is what we hope our child would bring into the world. And we understand, even in today's culture, in a much lighter sense, that names matter. Sylvester Stallone in some of his movies, right? Rocky and Rambo. Those titles tell you something about them, right? There's a heavyweight boxer that you're going to see. There's a Delta Force soldier that's going to fight. If he was named Fluffy in one and Rainbow Sparkles in the other, that would drastically change the movie, right? Like if that was the title of these movies, our whole expectation would change. Now that's what Isaiah is trying to get us to see as we look at this Christ who would be born. He's trying to give you the titles, the different gifts and names of Christ 
that would change our perspective? Why is it that we have hope in the midst of the darkest of times? Because he is a wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. That word for wonderful there is the Hebrew word that talks about awesome and majestic. He's a wonderful counselor. God helps us through our problems, through his counsel, but his greatest counsel oftentimes is to look to him and to see his glory and his might and his beauty. All that we would see that and treasure that. But he's also a counselor who will help us navigate through our problems. The fact that he's a counselor means that he brings help to us, that he brings encouragement and support to us. This is the one who we need to guide us through the darkest moments of our life. This is not a counselor that slams you. It's not a counselor that makes you feel terrible. No, it's one who is a wonderful counselor that points you to the things that will help you. And this kind of counselor is the one who gives advice through his word. Yes, absolutely. But he's also a counselor who lives out his commands, who lives out his word, who lives out his counsel. You think about it. Jesus, as he walked the earth, taught, pray for those who persecute you. He told us to forgive our enemies. The wonderful counselor taught these things. He spoke them, but he didn't just speak them. He did it. He lived it. As this child who was born in a manger would raise up and live his life pure, perfect, and holy, and then he would go to the cross, and then he would live out everything that he taught. On the cross, as he hung there and he died, he prayed for those who were persecuting him. He prayed for those who were killing him. He said, Father, forgive them. He forgave his enemies. This is the kind of wonderful counselor in which Christ is. The one that we should see at Christmas time. The one who lived out every truth that he taught. This promised Christmas light also looks like a mighty God. A mighty God. And this speaks of his power. Jesus is our mighty God, which means he is strong. He is able to defeat our greatest challenges, both in life and in death. Jesus was not just a good man. He was the God-man. Jesus was mighty. He was the Lord God Almighty. And we find this reality in perfect picture when we go to the Gospel of Mark. And I would just say, if you've never read the Bible, really invite you or encourage you to maybe grab one of the Bibles that we have on your way out. Those are free. It's a gift for you in our lobby. Open it up and read the Gospel of Mark. Because what you find in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is the mighty God. I mean, if, if you could take the Gospel of Mark and move it to like modern day times, it would be a, basically a WWE fight. Where it's like, let's get ready to rumble, okay? And chapter after chapter after chapter, what you find is that Jesus is the almighty God. Around one, you see that Jesus is versing disease in the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus is the winner. Then you see in round two, it's Jesus versus the demons, and Jesus is the winner. In round three, you see it's Jesus versus the disaster of weather, and Jesus calms the storm with a word. I can't even do that with water in the bathtubs when my kids are playing in there, right? Round four, you see that Jesus defeats death. He's the winner. He's the mighty God. 
This is who he is. And Mark is doing everything he can to show us that Jesus is mighty God, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that was made in Isaiah chapter 9. God is the almighty one, almighty one. And he's not just almighty in power, he's mighty in love. He's mighty to save, he's mighty in salvation. This is who our God is. The third title we see is that he's everlasting father. Everlasting father. Jesus gives us a picture of what this everlasting father would look like. This seems odd, those of you that have been in the church. Why does it say father here? It's an odd name. Because we know the Trinity, father, son, and spirit, those three are one. So why is Jesus given the title father? It's because Jesus would be to us like a father. He would show the perfect character of a father. He would bring it into full view. He would protect rightly like a father should. He would provide well like a father should. He would even go and prepare a home for us, an eternal home. Right? This is a picture of what the heavenly father should look like. And Jesus is just a reflection of that. Now, don't miss this. It says that he is an everlasting father. This is so important. This world can offer us a lot of fleeting joys, but it's only here that we find the everlasting joy that we need. It's not temporal, it's eternal. Jesus came to earth. Yes, he lived a life. Yes, he taught many different uh, sermons. He actually was placed in court and was unjustly sentenced to death. He went and he was hung on a cross. There was a spear that was thrust into his side. They certified him as dead. And then he rose from the grave three days later. Why? Because he is everlasting. And his kingdom is everlasting. This is the great light of the world in our deep, deep darkness. Lastly, we see that he is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Now, some of us can read this and look at the darkness of the world and feel like this is a joke. He's the Prince of Peace? What about all the wars that we've seen? Prince of Peace? What about World War I and World War II? What about the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran? What about the most recent wars of, in Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Hamas? What about all of those wars? And yet you're sitting here reading, he's the Prince of Peace? What are you talking about? What is the Bible talking about? To understand this biblically, we have to see that there's a painful explanation for the lack of peace. We have to unwrap this today and and, and not, not push it away. The Bible says that God is not the problem when it comes to peace in this world, we're the problem. We're the problem for the lack of peace in this world. The reason that the earth is without peace ultimately is because we try to live without God. We try to live without God. So what God has done is he has sent his son, the Prince of Peace. And and we, as we look at this Prince of Peace, we said, nope, nope. We will relegate Jesus to the suburbs of our life. 
We're not going to give him our heart. We're not going to give him our, our lives. Like, he's fine in the suburbs. He's fine around Christmas time, and he's around around Easter time. But, like, every day, him, like, speaking truth into my life and leading me and guiding me, like, I don't know if I want all of that. And what we're doing is we're pushing God away. Of course, we'll, we'll try to lean in when we have emergencies in our life. We're at our wit's end. But our hearts ultimately want to make up the rules. And so our world is without peace because we try to live without God. But this is the wonderful good news of our God. He's going to do something about the lack of peace on earth. And the first thing he's going to do about it is he's going to deal with our sin issue. He's going to do, deal with our lack of peace ultimately with him as we rebel against him. You see, you look in the Gospel of Matthew as it tells the story of Christ being born. And an angel, Gabriel, comes and talks to Joseph and says, hey, you're going to be the, the adopted dad, right, for my son. And as my son is born, what I want to do is I want you to name him Jesus, which means God saves. The Lord saves. And this is what it says in Matthew 1, verse 21. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. Not just that he came in a manger, but that he went ultimately to the cross in order to make peace with us and God, because he is the prince of peace. And when he hung on the cross and he died for our sins, and he said, it is finished, what he's talking about is he's, it's, it is finished, our sin that has separated us from God, if we would come to him and believe in him, confess our sins, we would have a right relationship with him. We would have peace with him. No matter what we've done against him, he would forgive us if we would come to him and confess and believe. It is in his death and his blood that he was buying our peace with God. And as he gives us that forgiveness and right relationship with him, it doesn't end there. You see, we talk about Advent, and Advent means coming. Coming, and Christmas is the first Advent where Christ came. But you realize there's a second Advent. There's a second coming where Christ will come again. And the first Advent, Christ came to deal with our sins, to bring us relief from our sins. But the second Advent, when he comes again, will bring relief from our suffering. So yes, there will come a day when peace is made and all the wrongs are made right in this world, where injustices will be fixed. That day is coming, and here's the beauty of it all. God in his goodness and his grace gives Isaiah a small glimpse of what this day of peace looks like. A, a day of peace that's coming that just dimly shines right now. But Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 11 Verses 6 through 9 tells us this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. This is speaking of the future promise of peace that is coming through the Prince of Peace. The cow and the bear shall gently graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall... Play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or be destroyed in all my holy mountain, 
For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we have to understand that we are just one inch away. One inch away for this day coming. The only thing that stands between this promised day and the reality of this day is the command of God that he would speak. So as we come to light this final candle, and as we celebrate as a church and hold these candles up, this candle is meant to represent Christ because he is the light of the world. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. So as our deacons come forth, we're going to light this candle. And what I want you to do is use this time intentionally to remember, yes, there's a darkness. There's a real darkness in this world. But Christ is also the great light that is shown in the midst of this darkness. So as we light this candle, as we shed this around this room, what we're doing is we're remembering that Christ is our great light.